0: This is Family Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with Melody C. Miller, award-winning filmmaker, for the first time. Welcome to the Family Electric Ghost podcast.
1: Woo! Thanks for having me.
0: We want to let people know that we are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. It's a, another podcast platform that converts us to audio. So if you use code Ghost to get one month free premium subscription, stop scrolling and start listening. This uh, podcast episode will be on Newsly within an hour or two after broadcast so thank you again for being on the show we're actually at episode 911 of the phantom electric ghost podcast we've been on the air since 2016 that's tracking on apple podcast so and today we're going to talk about documentary filmmaking which is your expertise and uh, i think it's really interesting to talk to different people different groups we initially started this podcast talking to creative people emerging and independent creative artists, primarily musicians. And then we got into filmmakers and authors and writers, but we love to talk to people who do that type of work. And this is a totally different type of work because you're doing documentary films that have a really big impact. You've been on uh, associated with like Sony Pictures, HBO, Discovery Channel, PBS, Amazon, going on and on. And um, what we're going to talk about today is your, your film california's forgotten children probably has the primary focus but we can talk for an hour about your other projects too but maybe you want to introduce people about that project and uh the, the actual what was the mission for that project
1: yeah so california's forgotten children is a feature documentary that follows a diverse group of resilience of survivors of child sex trafficking and their path to freedom and all the work that they're doing now to make sure that it doesn't happen to other children. And uh, it started out when I actually was in high school, I watched a documentary about child trafficking in India and Europe, and I started to do more research about it and I wanted to get involved in the movement to help stop it. I love children and just the thought that they're in pain and suffering just enrages me. And I had this fire inside of me that I had to do something. Um, I started volunteering at a local nonprofit in Oakland called Missy, motivating, inspiring, supporting and serving sexually exploited youth. And there I learned that students in my own high school were being trafficked. I didn't know that it was happening in America, let alone like in uh California or Oakland. So it really opened my world and kind of surroundings of realizing that it's so close to home. It could be where you go to school. Uh, And so I volunteered there for a number of years. And when I went to UCLA film school and graduated, I wanted to work on a project about child trafficking in California, Uh, I continued to volunteer with nonprofits and I asked them kind of, what do you guys need? Uh, And they said that there wasn't really a documentary that focused on California in particular. So that's where this amazing journey began and brought together so many different artists um, from music to recreation B-roll to animation and just some incredibly amazing uh leaders in the movement that have given their whole lives and dedication to help stop this and so it it was an honor making the film and filming what the work that they're doing uh to end child trafficking uh yeah
0: so when you went to school um to be a filmmaker and a cinematographer is the documentary format what you wanted to focus on as a filmmaker? Or is this, or did this project make you want to do a documentary?
1: So, uh, when I was at UCLA, I was initially uh, going to go into maybe the directing program, but then I took Bill McDonald's cinematography class, and I had always been doing photography and doing like directing and cinematography, but when. We got to work with sixteen millimeter film and shoot projects. It was just teaching you the bare basics of filmmaking and um, visual interpretation and just being able to work with film, the original uh, mm-hmm. you know filmmaking tools just made me want to go into cinematography. So I shot uh, not only documentaries but a lot of narrative films and music videos and uh, just visually. Uh, stimulating and gorgeous projects, uh, experimental films. And and so that's what got me into cinematography. Um, but then like my passion for social justice and uh, children's rights, women's rights uh, merged out when I was continuing to volunteer with um, LA Stop the Traffic at UCLA. And they collaborate with organizations in Los Angeles uh, County that help uh, children who are being commercially sexually exploited and we did like fundraisers and um, just whatever the organizations need needed help with and so that's when I wanted to go into directing documentaries and so using my knowledge and skills of cinematography I wanted to make the documentary feel like you're there with the children a lot of times in documentaries on child trafficking the children who are being exploited, their faces are blurred. And that's, of course, very important that we do that. And so I worked with survivors who were open about their story and sharing it. And we recreated um, parts of their documentary narrative using actors. So we could visually kind of see what a child kind goes of through.
0: yeah goes through.
1: like seeing children's faces and seeing that it could be any child, you know, just really opens people's minds rather than like a blurry face you know um, yeah. So that's, again,
0: yeah yeah that's a good question is like if you do it like a, a a totally into realism an actual like like you know like a news organization and mm-hmm. don't do the recreations right you you have some like artistic or cinematography or you're as a director it's like you know i want to tell the story mm-hmm. so you go and use the actors to tell the story so you think because you, you want to have an impact as, mm-hmm. as, 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 so you feel like if you just do it with the blurred faces, maybe you're not going to get this point over to the audience because you're trying to, to get people to understand the issue. Right.
1: Exactly. And we use poetic imagery. So it wasn't necessarily say recreating exactly what they were saying. Sometimes they might be talking about difficult times. Like some children get arrested mm-hmm. um, for prostitution, even though they're under the age of 18 and, uh, you know, they get put in jail and what that was life at 13 years old. So there's a, a shot of um, young Chris in the documentary where there's a girl sitting at a window and the camera slowly like moves in. And, you know, it's as the um, leader, survivor leader, Chris is like telling her story. So it it's not exactly showing what was happening at the time, but yeah. it's showing like an image of a girl just taking it all in what's happening, taking it all in that Carissa was talking about. So, uh, and we have different moments like that throughout the film, but we also use like archival footage, news footage, Um, you know, we do have blurred faces and and stuff like that in certain moments, but those uh, scenes that tell six different survivor stories, you know, having to see like a child's face um, really just, pulls the heartstrings of people and makes people want to get involved in the movement.
0: Yeah. Well, I think as a creative person, you know, I'm a, I'm a musician and I'm a producer. What we try to do is, you know, serve the project, right? So mm-hmm. you, you, whatever tool visually or from mm-hmm. a storytelling standpoint you use that serves the moment, right? That serves mm-hmm. what you're trying to get across. So if you use eight millimeter film or you use digital cameras or you use certain types of, You know shots or certain types of techniques as a musician we use different tools to convey different things right so i Mm -hmm. think as as a cinematographer and a director like you used whatever tool you felt was going to give you the right focus for that moment right
1: Mm -hmm. exactly and same part we used animation uh, for the documentary in certain parts some of the survivor leaders were describing just how they were feeling and we have this animation of a, a girl She talks about how running away from home, she thought she was running away from the pain, but she didn't know that behind the door was so much more worse that was Mm -hmm. happening. And it's then the girl opens the door. She falls out of the door and there are people grabbing her arms, grabbing her legs. And it's this little girl falling into darkness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's also another tool of poetic imagery and visual storytelling where it's not, showcasing rape and violence and the horrible mm-hmm. things that were happening but it's visually helping the audience kind of see this little girl struggling you know in, I in the that's
0: audience. the poetry of like creativity like mm-hmm. a lot of times like we're you know whether you know as a musician whether you use analog digital or real instrument you know, how you record on real tape or use digital you know mm-hmm. depending on what you're trying to get across mm-hmm. or what you're trying to convey you know, you could you you do a video like you said, you animate video, or you have realistic or, or actual real blacked out, you know, narrative like like a like like you're a news reporter asking a direct question about the exact event. But you know, different things you, you tools are used for however you're gonna create create something. You know, as a, as a creative person, um, I think it's a really awesome media because you're pulling in like you said, music. Animation, different types of shots, different types of cameras. There's a lot of creativity to get across what you're trying to show people the, the yeah. whole powerful issue of 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 sex traffic. which a lot of people would want to say, oh, it's like you know somebody comes in a van and, and grabs you out of nowhere. And we've had some people on the podcast before that've talked about sometimes people don't have a good understanding of what what it could be that you actually could it could be somebody that's close to you. Not this, this stranger in the van that comes and grabs you. But there's, there's a lot more complexity to the what the situations that people can find themselves into sex trafficking that maybe they didn't understand.
1: Exactly. And there are so many various different ways um, people can be trafficked, whether they're trafficked sadly by their own parents or um, they're uh, trafficked through uh, their foster parents. Um, they could be um Coerced by someone that they love, um, a mentor or a boyfriend, mm-hmm. um, you know, through media, um, like th- through the Internet, meeting someone online, thinking that they are a young Teenager, just like yourself, and you go to meet them, and it's the wrong case, or, you know, in in the entertainment industry, yeah, you get a business modeling, contract, you model a... or
0: an actor. You know, you think yeah. you get, you go to a foreign country, and then they lock you up. You know, yeah. that you get, you get conned into a bad contract. That's more than a bad contract. it actually puts you into like a like a slavery situation. Like you're being, you know, a criminal activity that you got conned into. That you got, are the victim of. And a lot of people don't understand it. They want to just think it's one thing. Mm-hmm. And like anything in the world, the things are more than what they appear to be. And mm-hmm. it's always great to be a document in the documentaries. except you try to teach people.
1: Mm-hmm. Is exactly. That, is, that,
0: is that what your whole goal is to actually, it's like a learning experience, you know?
1: Yeah. And, you know, with the film, we've had tremendous impact. You know, we've screened at over twenty festivals, and then we've done over a hundred community screenings with all sorts of nonprofit organizations, to ho- children's hospitals, to police departments, to the Social Security Department, all the way to the United States Senate in front of Congress. And, you know, even at Facebook headquarters and each one, everybody, has a way how they could help and the commercial sexual exploitation of children from the police department, learning how to work with victims, not treating them as criminals, you know, creating a safe environment, working with local nonprofits to get them the support services that they need to, you know, the hospitals, you know, if you see a child coming in with bruises, or, you know, there's also sadly, a lot of doctors who don't want to touch children who've been who are commercially sexually exploited because they think that they're prostitutes. And so breaking that stigma and educating doctors about that. And also, you know, tremendous. I mean, one of our biz- biggest accomplishments is getting the documentary into schools. And that's what we're really pushing for. But from the screenings that we've had in high schools, we've worked with the local crisis center and they're there every day. Day during the screening of the movie, um, along with the police department. So children have come out
0: um, oh, that's a good, that that's they were good
1: being trafficked, or it wasn't just trafficking, homelessness or mm-hmm. abuse at home, you know, various different things that were happening to them. They were they were able to relate to the survivor stories. And because there was a diverse group of survivors with different stories kids were able to relate to different parts who might've been going through that. And they came out and got the help that they needed thanks to the amazing uh, Valley Valley Crisis Center and uh, the work that they're doing. So that was kind of our biggest accomplishment for the film to be able to help someone see themselves in a survivor leader story and see that they also do have a future. They can get out there. It's a tough journey once you know, the healing process in the documentary Nola Brentley, um, who is a part of Nola Brentley speak, she talks about that. It, it takes years um, for self care and overcoming what happened. And, and sometimes, a lot of times, people who've been trafficked don't realize they're being trafficked because they've been manipulated or they only see it as the kidnapping in like the big movies like Taken. Those do create awareness. And are great, but there are other ways that are harmful of that children and anyone could get trafficked. So it's good knowledge to know that. And also in schools, we've had so many students just become really passionate leaders. They say, I want to work for the government and I'm going to change all these laws so we can help all these kids. And, you know, just, you know, the new passion fighters who are going to be the next generation who are going to keep pushing change. And as a filmmaker, as a documentary filmmaker, that's like makes the many years and the many tears and the hard work all worth it. um, You know, to get that reaction from just one or two people.
0: Well, I think it's really awesome when a, when a piece of work is like a living piece of work, which means that it's not a static piece that when you actually can affect change that you get, you bring it to a school and then people come forward and, you know, and then they can get help. If you get people to want to volunteer or go into you know, human rights They they want to go and, you know, not just in the U S maybe they want to go global that they, they see the, the whole picture and you're focused on a California, but then people say, wow, this is a, this is a whole planetary issue this mm-hmm. is like a, a human rights issue. And you did mention that there are hundreds of human rights organizations and environmental organizations that have kind of been connected to what you're doing. And it's all like, you know, holistic. I like have talked to many people on the podcast over the years <clears throat> And the thing that happens is that there's a lot of things that people want to put into narrow focus and don't see like the holistic connection between, you know, the government, society, you know, individuals. There's, 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 a, there's a lot of interconnected pieces that people probably don't know. There's laws, there's, you know, non-governmental organizations, there's all kinds of things that people need to be aware of. Like, where do these people stand on this? You know, where, where, where can you get help or do they not? You know, provided or are they not focusing on it? So you know, maybe we can talk about more about the whole structure in California. You mentioned earlier that you didn't even know that it had existed in California, and then you were kind of brought into the to the to to this situation where it's like, wow, I'm, you you learned about it, and then you're like, oh, I want to help, I want to do something. And the film started from that kind of origin, right?
1: Exactly. And that's what I was hoping, you know, by focusing on California, we've screened the movie in other states and also in other countries. And I wanted people, look, we're just focusing on one state and it's just so vast what's happening there. Focus on where you're living, focus on your state, where on your country and, you know, see what needs to get done there to help stop it. So that's like when we'd have screenings in other states they're like yes that happens here too and we don't you know they're still arresting children and they're putting them in jail you know we don't have any services you know these are the things that they need uh and it it gets people talking it gets people thinking it's bringing people together especially prior to the pandemic you know when we had more in-person screenings and they're starting to come back just Mm -hmm. the q a and like the discussions that all the audience members have together, it's like amazing. Just the connections that they're able to do, like you were saying from different departments and work departments and how they could get involved. Like even someone who's a yoga teacher and art teacher can work with a local nonprofit and provide classes for um, the clients that they're serving. So everybody can get involved.
0: What's interesting to me is the kind of justice department or the police situation Mm -hmm. where they're, they're mislabeling the victims as criminals. And then that to me seems to be like a teaching opportunity for the DA or, you know, of, of an area. If that's how they're treating child-trafficked victims and they're treating them like they're you know, a prostitute or putting them under a law that's actually not appropriate, that yeah. they need to be educated in terms of what they're doing and understand it's like kind a holistic picture because they're in a narrow focus. Like the problem is people get stuck in narrow lanes mm-hmm. and like the law enforcement is like, well, this is X. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's not really X. There's something else, right? You need to understand what the situation is. It's a matter of like educating people, you know, maybe it's not the right tool for the job to put that person in jail. That's not the right remedy. You know, that's not the right approach. So how do you educate you know, the law enforcement and the general society to understand what what's going on.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, our film has been used in trainings in police departments, and it's been embraced by many DAs across California and in other states who have showed the film and made improvements to their departments. And, you know, bringing in survivor leaders, people with lived experience to work with the police department and Have them tell them kind of what improvements need to be made. I mean, I think I recently saw an article in Merced, uh, the police department over there created a room for survivors of any uh, crime uh, with a couch, it has paintings, it has uh, fish it has a nice table they have a coffee machine they have chocolates candies you know cookies just making a warm comfortable zen environment uh instead of you know a metal table yeah, and sitting across from the the light yeah, and, yeah. so the cold
0: are... environment yeah the justice system they might like well we don't really need that but they're not talking to sociologists not talking mm-hmm. to psychiatrists, not talking to, you know, you know, pe- people who would say, you know, the social worker point of view, they you know, the person with the with the master's degree or the doctorate, and mm-hmm. and you, you look at the situation, and you guys aren't actually, you're criminalizing something. You're not treating somebody as a person. Mm-hmm. So know somebody's a person, they don't want that kind of cold metal table, nothing mm-hmm. on the walls, like you're in a cell. Mm-hmm. Like is that? really appropriate when the person's already gone through a lot they, mm-hmm. the matter is oh you know we don't have the money for that. it doesn't take a lot of money to actually have a little care yeah. and and so i think sometimes people try to, oh, it's always going to cost us this and it's like start to think about like is that really expensive or you just hadn't thought about taking the time to yeah. understand the issue
1: Exactly. And honestly, if they said they were going to do that, they'd have donations and so they'd have people donating things, designing rooms, you know, people will give to have that to help survivors and, and victims of any crime horrific to have that safe space. And, you know, a lot of police departments have changed. It's according to California law, children are not to be arrested for prostitution, Man. but there are still, you know, police departments that need to be trained or don't have the resources yet. Um, And so it, in some cases, children are still arrested, but there are so many good improvements that are being made now. Uh, And, you know, I encourage all departments to you know, either watch the film or go to a training. There's or work with their local nonprofit on how they can improve to help children who are being commercially sex exploited or children victims of any crime. How they can make it more comfortable and safe and have the resources so that they could be on a good journey to well, think, uh, healing and recovering. Yeah.
0: Well, you think you have to talk. You know, for anything to happen, you have to kind of bring it into the light.
1: I mm-hmm. think a lot
0: of things. You know, I've talked to tons of people on the show where, you know, people like as soon as you take something that was in the darkness or not being discussed and mm-hmm. you shed the light on it and you communicate, mm-hmm. then then people find out about it. Like if mm-hmm. so if you if you the problem is some people are scared of actually bringing it up because of shame or mm-hmm. because of, uh, you know, mores in the society or like how does yeah. that, you know, the people have certain beliefs. You know, mm-hmm. maybe those beliefs they think are truths, but they're not truths. They're mm-hmm. beliefs. And there's mm-hmm. there's a truth, there's a belief, and there's actions you do upon things that you think are are real, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Like, so when you start to actually show people what the reality of child trafficking is, and they were getting miseducated by whatever they, their belief system or what somebody mm-hmm. told them, and you have to start showing them what the reality is, and then... They can make appropriate responses, but not talking about it is not like, it's like a no starter, non-starter. You you can't, like what you're doing is you're bringing that to the people. Your film kind of puts it so that then you have that first step, Mm
1: -hmm. watch your
0: film, then thinking like, what can we change? Mm -hmm. What can we do better? What are we doing wrong? You kind of have like that lesson learned. Exactly. you, You have to have this kind of thing where you actually look at what you're doing. Are you doing what you could do?
1: mm-hmm yeah, and you know by learning and improving and helping you know it will it will if if they're feeling shame of anything or they have some sort of different beliefs, you know doing the right thing and learning from people with lived experience, like learning more about the issue, listening to different opinions and and you know that will help the discussion. And kind of how we can improve it together as a society, but not talking about it isn't helping it. It's making it forgotten, and you know we don't want to forget these kids ever again.
0: Well, it's interesting. You said you you went to the Senate, and actually, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, hosted, like, like was um was part of the the showing. Is that the story?
1: Uh, yeah. So um, she. Uh, booked us a room at congress to show the film and she wasn't able to make it but she w- was able to initiate the the room process of getting people to come see the documentary on child sex trafficking and that was just like a huge honor survivor leader t ortiz walker pedigree was there and um case manager uh christopher sean watson was there and we had A really important discussion with everyone who came to the screening there. They were from different departments, from different states. And, um, you know, after screening the film, everybody exchanged numbers and they met up and worked on different projects. And um, I think it was a a really great experience to be able to go to such a highly esteemed (laughs) government location and, and, and share the movie. And, you know, since then, um, our current president, uh, Joe Biden had last year launched the countering human trafficking act Mm of, uh, 2021, which was passed and it like expands the Homeland Security department and the center for, uh, countering human trafficking department and, uh, creates a larger staffing unit so that they could help and uh, and combat human trafficking, which is great. That's
0: awesome because you went from California state level to the federal level with the vice president giving, hosting it mm-hmm. and then getting the president of the United States to actually, you know, increase awareness and actually do something with the law, you know, with, 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 with the agencies that they can control. So yeah. that it shows you that when you take something, that you believe in and you start at a local level, you can get to the federal level. And then you've also gotten to the global level with all these other agencies you've talked to from environmental agencies to, uh, you know, human rights organizations. So, you know, this, this is kind of like the lesson is when you believe and you get passionate about something, it kind of, you know, if you show up, things will happen when you go and you put, put your heart into it. And you know, being a creative person, we know you put your heart into your work.
1: And I just want to be clear, like our film just played a tiny part in educating people. You know, it was so many different organizations and individuals mm-hmm. who worked day in, day out with legislation and trying to get the government to uh, push for this bill who should take credit for, you know, collaboration, collaborative collaboration for everyone. We play just a tiny part in showing our documentary, but it's really all the organizations and people who work day in and out to, to pass that. And, you know, there's still more work that needs to be done. There's still more expanding um, that has to happen on uh, state and community levels. But, you know, I just send my heart to all those people who are working tirelessly every day. And, you know, it's really hard, you know, and, I, you know, if it wasn't for them, so many kids wouldn't be safe. And you know, it, it's up to us and everyone to work together to help eradicate this huge and horrible problem.
0: Well, it's good to have a, an impact. Like you know, I understand there's a, there's a there's a collaborative effort with all the other organizations, but when you're able to have you know a film that's actually you know been able to connect like, mm-hmm. like your film's connecting, it, it it is a part of it. And, uh, you yeah, know, mm-hmm. I understand your modesty, but it's always good to, um, to, to at least be in, in, in un, aware of it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, if you're part of the, and it's good that you're giving props to everybody that's involved in the, in the whole movement to get people aware of child trafficking, because that's the whole picture It's like, it's not just a, you know, like, like in music, people want to be number one. You know, if you're mm-hmm. an artist, that that's not the point. When you're doing like a documentary, you're trying to educate, and mm-hmm. if anybody else is helping with it, you know, it's all part of the same effort.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: But like what you're doing is like this idea of trauma informed. If your documentary is is like is is helping people understand what it means to be trauma informed, And maybe you can talk to people. What what does that term mean? To you within the context of, what you know, California's Forgotten Children.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, when we started screening the documentary, it was really shocking to me that almost at every screening, someone who experienced either trafficking or some sort of trauma would come out and start sharing their story with me or whoever was there as, as speakers. And so it became very clear, very fast that we needed to have boots on the ground, like trauma-informed facilitators that were at the screenings to provide resources right away to victims mm-hmm. of commercial sexual exploitation. Um, and so having a training to become more informed on working with uh, people who might have experienced similar traumas and getting them the help that they need, um, I found that so, like, we... So we collaborate with a lot of organizations to make sure we had that support. And I worked with Rachel Thomas, who uh, shares her story in the documentary. And she also is a graduate from UCLA. She has a master's degree in education and curriculum development. And so she developed the curriculum for our movie um, to screen in high schools. From feedback from students so we screened it to thousands of kids and you know got their feedback on like what were their feelings before watching the movie and after watching the film kind of what they wish they had support wise and kind of what kind of activities would they be interested in like art or going out volunteering like after watching the movie and we saw a huge rate of like all of like everybody just becoming very passionate and more educated about the issue a lot of boys commented that they didn't see um uh, prostitutes as human beings or children who were being commercially sexually exploited and now they saw them as human beings which was like a huge just change um that was really big so Using that feedback, Uh, Rachel designed activities for the students so that they either didn't feel alone. uh, Sometimes learning about all these horrible things, it makes you feel like, what can you do about it? It's such a big problem. So, really bringing in that community effort, you know, discussion, questions, and and also activism how they could volunteer, how they could create posts on social media to raise awareness and yeah that so it was trauma-informed for that and also on every screening of the movie like they get handouts on all the resources how to keep safe and having also counselors there to talk with the students whenever they need it was really important
0: have you ever had some young people that watch the film and kind of like you as a filmmaker come to you and say hey this has actually triggered the spark in me to want to go into documentary filmmaking have you ever run into people that have looked at what you're doing and say, oh like now i know i want to do something like what you're doing
1: yeah i've run into a couple of people that saw the film and wanted to do what i was doing they wanted like um they wanted to explore like also different topics of human trafficking like in the documentary we cover boys who are being commercially sexually exploited but not as in-depth as girls who are being commercially sexually exploited mm-hmm. and so one young man came to me and you know we started discussing him like how about you make a documentary about it you know mm-hmm. i just like how someone i watched someone's documentary in high school and that sparked my journey to make my own documentary years later mm-hmm. i sparked his journey to start yeah. making a documentary and exploring a topic and you know or having different perspectives so i encourage all filmmakers to you know if they want to get involved in, you know, make something uh, to, you know, explore other topics or, you know, redo my topic, it's totally fine. <laughs> you yeah. know, as long as we continue to to talk they, about it, you know.
0: Yeah, just uh, the fact that you you did the work and then it sparks another person to say, mm-hmm. I am very much interested in the documentary film format. Maybe I can take my perspective on it. Like the young man, he's like, oh, I, I think maybe we should look, at this, this, this issue. And it's so, like, well, you, you know, you go and, you go and take that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, that's, that's always a cool, like a mentoring kind of thing. The exact fact that you create it, you know, like when you're an artist, like you're a musician, you create a piece of work, you inspire people to actually create other work in the same vein, but it's different. It's mm-hmm. a different take on it. You know, as, as like a jazz musician, you create like a standard and everybody wants to do the standard and then tweak the standard and make something else. Mm-hmm. So it's always that that inspiration is maybe it wasn't initially intended that you're going to inspire filmmakers because mm-hmm. you were trying to you know, elaborate on the issue with the Forgotten Children. Mm-hmm. But in another added benefit is like, you know, documentary film format is a really cool place to be. Mm-hmm. Is that it, in the industry in film? Is that is is it? a um, uh, harder to get into documentary filmmaking than other types of filmmaking
1: um well i think it's easy to start making a documentary you know get your camera out shoot a project that you're passionate about you know i've worked on films that are narrative and with that you need to do find actors locations casting crew Uh, those are things you could still do when you're first starting out, but documentary, the people are already there. The location's already there. The story's already there. So take out your camera and you could start that. But um, making a living in documentary filmmaking is very difficult, (laughs) especially because, you know, a lot of our work is around social justice and giving. And, you know, as a documentary filmmaker, you're so giving, you're so passionate, and it's hard to, you know, make a living.
0: Yeah, can you get, like, can you get venues, to, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, can you get theaters to show it? Can you get mm-hmm. channels to actually put it on? Can you get it, get it into, like, a distribution network compared to, like, oh, I'm going to be a commercial filmmaker. I'm going to go and do advertising. Or I'm going to do music videos. I'm going to do something that's more commercially viable.
1: Mm-hmm. It's kind of like
0: an independent musician. Like, if you're an avant-garde musician. Right, mm-hmm. you wanna be like a Velvet Underground and Andy Warhol, you're gonna have a very narrow audience. Because mm-hmm. that's that's like that's not top ten. That's mm-hmm. that's something else. But it's still what you wanna do. Mm-hmm. And so so people are passionate about the thing that they really feel. Right. So it seems like you know, a documentary film to you is that you that you have a passion about it, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I still have a a balance of work. Like I do corporate work. I do work as a cinematographer. I shoot other people's movies and that's kind of where I get my income from. But like for the projects I really give my heart into, you know, um, a a lot of that instead it's opened doors to other opportunities, you know, um, and, and that's how I see it. And it also creates amazing change. So that's that's how I make it, you know, it's okay. You know, we <laughs> didn't, yeah. you know, I can't survive through it, but it's opened other doors and opportunities for myself and all the people who are involved in the movies. Yeah.
0: That's like the starving artist thing. Like everybody has a day gig or the day job that helps mm-hmm. do their passion. Like you have your mm-hmm. passion project and then you have what helps you keep doing your passion project. And because the world today has less gatekeepers, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering... Like in terms of like, like in the music industry, there's less gatekeepers because you can just go out and put it out yourself independently. Mm -hmm. Is it the same kind of thing, a documentary film, when you start to do it, you, okay, if I create it, I'll be able to find a place to distribute it or to put it out because I'm an independent creator.
1: I finally learned how to do that 15 years. It took uh, more doors and opportunities are opening up for independent filmmakers to be able to put their movies on larger platforms and do distribution. But it did take me a while because it was my first feature film. You know, everybody says, oh, you need a sales agent. You need a distributor. You know, there's a certain path you have to go through. And I sat around waiting for a distributor. I tried talking to different distributors. And a lot of that, they just don't like it really depends on the distributor but they didn't really see your film for its value for impact more of its value for how much money they can make which yeah. i understand they're going to invest a lot of money into it and they want to be able to make a profit so um but so i figured out how to do it myself <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and also because it was my first film you know i didn't have a lot of funding so a lot of the work i had to do um i had to learn how to do myself so we did uh, self- distribution. Uh, for the documentary. So people would order a virtual uh, a screening license and then I would make the DVD. I'd like stick the sticker on. I'd like cut the paper for the yeah, DVD and ship it to me. them, write a thank you note, um, did that. But I, I also learned how to get it on PBS on my mm-hmm. own. Um, through. Awesome. Uh, NiDA the National Education Telecommunication Association they're like a great door for independent filmmakers to get their work on on TV and mm-hmm. over 44 channels picked it up and they they showed the movie uh, in order to get those 44 channels you know we emailed them we sent letters we called each one you know explaining the documentary asking if they could air it and um, and then I finally recently figured out how to get it on, um, uh, iTunes and Amazon and Apple TV and Tubi and all that through Bit. Got
0: yeah, on the Smithsonian yeah. Channel too. Uh,
1: I've I've worked for the Smithsonian Channel. Oh, okay, uh, you worked on a different documentary, or oh, you collaborated
0: on something different. Okay, yeah.
1: So um, so I figured out how to do that um for for the film and and kind of figured I was able to take that and use that for my next film and now that I'm working on my third feature documentary now I can I've already. Figured out the distribution, which is generally like you don't really know when you're starting out, but now I know how to get there. And so I'm kind of working backwards. I know the distribution, I know the audience, and now I'm I could focus on the creative fun stuff, you know.
0: Well, sometimes that's the way art is. I mean, when you when you're a creative person, sometimes like you don't think of those like those kind of monetary conversion type of tactics of like getting into the distribute. Like if you create a piece of art. I wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily thinking about trying to make money and it happens Mm -hmm. to get an audience or it happens to fit into a channel. You know, everybody said, Oh, that's what you should think of first. But Mm -hmm. I think if you're thinking about an idea or a topic, Mm -hmm. you might focus more on that to actually Mm -hmm. get that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just the way the world is Mm or they want you to be more business minded. And sometimes Mm -hmm. creative people are not necessarily business minded at the beginning. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah and that that was for my first two films and you know we even had a sales agent that strung us along for over a year and you know we weren't able to do anything with our film until you know the contract ended for my second movie and and then later on we did our own thing and we won an Emmy. so <laughs> so wow, i mean, helps right there, you know, right I mean it, it'd be great if i could finally find an amazing distributor but you know just knowing that you know it worked for my first two films. I know how to get on PBS. I have the connections with the educational distribution market. I know how to do these things. So just having that makes it less stressful, I guess, for the third time around for a future. Does an Emmy
0: really yeah. open the doors for your distribution? You would think, like, if you win a Grammy or win an Emmy or win those big awards, does that really help you open up markets?
1: I don't know yet. It's only been a week. So. Oh, you
0: just got it. You just got it. <laughs>
1: I just got it. So I don't know yet. I'm hoping that, you know, I'm going to be doing grant writing for this new film and all this stuff. So I hope that if they know that I've won an Emmy and that, you, you, know, that, I, you know, I, you know, I guess
0: as, a, as, as somebody that doesn't know, I mean, I assume like when you win a Grammy, like as a musician, you think you're going to get a better deal. So you think you're going to get a wider, they're going to put that stamp on your, all your albums. Hey, he's a Grammy mm-hmm. award winning. So then you can, you could get into places you couldn't get into before. That's their assumption. Yeah, but I've actually heard in music sometimes it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So sometimes, like you win it, you get critical acclaim, and then they still say, "Well, this still doesn't sell." <laughs> so, yeah. so sometimes it's like we say, "Well, it's what I believe in. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep on doing what I believe in, and find you know people come to you. It seems like yeah. you get people to come to you because you're really passionate about what you're talking about."
1: Yeah, I would say that I guess when you're really passionate, you become like a magnet and other passionate people join your magnet and then you're like a superpower magnet. So mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. um, that's kind of what what happened, I think, for, for the projects. And, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about this new documentary I'm starting. It's following a mother who survived uh, breast cancer and her journey through pregnancy to postpartum and kind of what, that's like uh, becoming a mom and having been through cancer. And I'm, I'm just really excited about it.
0: What's the name of this project? Do you have a name?
1: I don't know yet. Right now, I'm calling it Untitled Super Mom Project. So, <laughs> but I, I haven't come up with a name yet. And uh, it, it will reveal itself when the time is right.
0: <laughs> that's, that's really interesting because I'm a cancer survivor. At age 27, I had a level three sarcoma and I beat it. And now I'm age 55. And, uh, and then my wife got cancer like last year. So that was like super rare that we both Mm -hmm. ended up experiencing cancer, but you know, she's in remission now, but it's like cancer is Mm -hmm. such a big thing and it's cool that you're taking on another issue, which I, I, you know, I've experienced in, but, um, yeah, it's just, so like when you deal with the documentary film format, you're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're using it to elaborate on, uh, societal or impacts or, or that, that's your point of view, right, for the form. I'm just trying to understand how you use the form of a document. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think, I, like, there are certain topics that I'm really attracted to, and I just kind of go with my heart. Like, my second film was about the first female beat jazz poet, Ruth Wise, mm-hmm. and um, her life story, I walked into one of her jazz uh, performances and just fell in love with this... 80 something year old woman with crystals on her head and she had this husky Austrian voice, Mm -hmm. you know, telling her story through poetry and, you know, the musicians just going with the flow. Not everything was improvisational. I just needed to know who she was and started this epic film project where she unlocked a lot of my imagination and we pushed a lot of boundaries in documentary filmmaking uh, to tell her story. It became like its own. The documentary film came like its own jazz.
0: Like a stream of consciousness fusion jazz thing. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and that's always yeah. Incorporating like elements like dance and art and music and you know filmmaking and just really weave that in, but still making it cohesive story. But it was very surprising uh, and exciting for people and also kind of a little funny too. Some people were writing about how it had a lot of humor so even though it does talk about some serious um, topics you know, she's just was a joy to be around and definitely will make you laugh.
0: (laughs) Do you think you would ever uh, do uh, more documentaries about musicians that you're interested in, in, in in that kind of way?
1: Oh, yeah, of course, if, you know, I, I find the right one. And I've worked on, like, uh, as a cinematographer, a documentary about Jenny Rivera, who is a famous musician. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of what comes along the way with Ruth Wise. We we developed a relationship. She was in her 90s mm-hmm. um, when she passed away. But, like, um, she could sometimes be in her early 20s. <laughs> like, okay. even though she was in her 90s. And, like, yeah, we I- became best friends, but almost like a grandma. So it was... A, a close journey and experience with that and after she passed away we created a nonprofit to honor her and we give out annual grants um, to help poets and artists in need and we give out different themes each year we have like a committee that selects uh, the poems and we help youth and uh, and like more established poets as well and we're working on helping schools and Worn torn locations. Um, The foundation is called Ruth Wise Foundation. And if you look it up, uh, people can apply. Uh, We're giving out $6,000 in rewards um, and working on a a big event planned for International Children's Day um, because this year's theme is uh, war is bad for children. So, what's good for children? Because um, Ruth Wise um, is survived the nazis in world war ii and Mm -hmm. wrote a lot of her poetry about um you know escaping uh the nazis and a lot of her family didn't make it Mm too and she's been a huge advocate for anti-war and uh, she dyed her hair green um in order to raise awareness and she kept her hair green uh it turned into teal later on she did her own shade um Mm -hmm. but for for like almost all her life um she watched the documentary the boy with the green hair in the 1940s and that was a anti-war movie where one day a boy wakes up with green hair and people ask him why you have green hair and he says because war is bad for children so that's kind of where the theme comes from and you know we're excited to see what poetry comes in um to raise awareness on that
0: yeah because always you know it's a it's a you know being a musician taken on social issues as part of like, you know, some musicians, you know, might do that. And I tend to do that with my work, but um, poetry, you know, I've talked to a lot of artists and even musicians, they always start with poems, you mm-hmm. know, they usually start as a, as a poet and then they transform it into lyrics. So the whole artistic vision of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, connecting uh, poetry to like, you know, activism is, is, mm-hmm. you know, like, i I'm, I'm a, you know, big fan of Dylan and Neil Young mm-hmm. and, and idea like, you know, Neil Young was like four dead in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Some people say, Oh, musicians shouldn't talk about things. He should be an entertainer, but there's a, there's a whole tradition of, of artists that do say things like, mm-hmm. you know, Dylan and during, during the civil rights era, you know, he had all these songs they were talking about, you know, times are changing. Mm-hmm. So you know, the four dead in Ohio, like you can talk about what's going on. You don't just have to entertain people. You mm-hmm. can actually inform people <laughs> some people don't they feel that, but uh yeah, it's just interesting to be that you as a as a filmmaker, you could go and and explore all kinds of interesting things so like going you know I'm looking forward to a lot of the work you're talking about uh in the future. Do you have other ideas that you're you're kind of you know sitting on in terms of what you want to work on in the next like five years?
1: Yeah, I have other ideas that I'm sitting on, but they haven't, like, I've kind of reached out, but they haven't come to fruition yet. So I don't want to say anything yet until, like, I kind of have some concrete, like, yeah, you could come film me <laughs> type thing. But, um, like, the project uh, about uh, Amber, um, I'm really excited about. And I mean, what really attracted me is I recently became a mother myself, and mm-hmm. just seeing her story, breastfeeding with just one breast like going through that difficult journey of you know having a kid after experiencing cancer I, I was just really drawn to her story and her resilience and how how powerful that is and and now we've become friends and yeah. you know, we just started the process of filming and she's also you know a a Navy veteran, and uh, she's a bodybuilder. Her whole family are jiu jitsu fighters, and she's like oh. super badass, amazing. So, I'm excited to start. That sounds like a really
0: veteran. interesting story. I mean, they, they, mm-hmm. they you know, they, I, I, I you know, being a cancer survivor myself, and then, you know, I got married and I had my daughter with my wife, that was like a big deal for me. I actually changed my, you know, after I had cancer, it made me feel like I should do things differently. And one of the mm-hmm. things I did differently, like I married and we had a kid and then we lived in Tokyo for like two years. But I did things I didn't think I was going to do. That it kind of gave me another lease on life. Mm-hmm. That it actually made me feel that, oh, I should try things that I was scared of doing. Yeah. Because I survived. Like like that survivor kind of story of, oh, I the things are, you know, you can you can actually overcome a lot of things. And once mm-hmm. you... Go in that kind of spirit, so I I, I totally, you know, uh, understand that kind of perspective, kind of living through it. But um, yeah, I think it's a really cool story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from because a lot of people, you know, sometimes they get maybe too look at looking at a cancer survivor, they think we're victims, mm-hmm. and you want to show a different kind of angle that you can be triumphant. That you don't have to right. be like the victim, right?
1: Exactly. That's why she shares her story because she wants, like, the moment, like. Uh, she was it was removed like she decided not to um, you know get it put back because she it was just her now and she wanted to share her story and her journey with others to empower them and I think that's really um, important and also she was so young when it happened and there I know many other women who are in their early 30s 20s that are also getting breast cancer and it's just really scary because they don't really check for it until your 40s and um, a lot of times it's kind of overlooked and I think it's a topic that we have to discuss about.
0: Yeah, more education because a Mm -hmm. lot of times people, you know, I was lucky that I found my sarcoma and it was external. Mm -hmm. If it had been internal, you wouldn't be talking to me because I I wouldn't have checked for it. I'm 27 years old. I wouldn't think I have cancer. Mm-hmm. right and so there's a lot of you know there's a lot of things I learned about it but I was able to like I, I initially noticed this thing growing and I was like oh what is this and then mm-hmm. you know I actually went to the doctor and I was like wow I'm glad I actually did but a lot of people are so you know adverse to like science and doctors and they want to say this and say that but it's like you ought to really read up on mm-hmm. everything when they deal deal with cancer you shouldn't just listen to something on some blog you you need okay. to do the hands-on research and I hope like what you're doing with your documentary is, like tell people like the, the, the real consequences of not paying attention to your body
1: <laughs> exactly and I'm gonna like uh, each one of my films has like a different type of style like a different type of poem I would say um and so this one I'm gonna tell it, through her and her family, like I do have a sit down interview, but I'm not going to use it. That's going to help me weave the story together. And I'm Mm -hmm. taking like, we're going to a doctor's appointment in two weeks. You know, we're going to talk with the doctor about um, like the black maternal health crisis right now. And also about, you know, post uh, cancer, having a child and, um, and, and, you know, go to like a, a Navy ship and, you know film her talking about what it was like working on a Navy ship and you know being pregnant you know and you know so it's it's gonna be a different style than my other two documentaries and it's gonna be told through her um and her family and you know the people around her on this journey and I'm really excited about it
0: yeah oh yeah we'd love to uh, like when do you get you know to the, you know, when you're ready to present it to the world, like we we're talking about this one with California's forgotten children. Um, we, we, we love to have people come back on the show. We, we, yeah. we have repeat guests talk about whatever they're working on. So mm-hmm. yeah, we think that that's always a cool thing to do. Cause you know, we've been around like since 2016 and we want to let people know, like if you go to www.californiasforgottenchildren.com, what will people find there when they go to your website?
1: Oh, Uh, When you go to the film's website, you can watch the movie. You can host a screening of the film, either raising funds for your local nonprofit or hosting a free screening um, for people to come. There's information and helpful guidebooks on there. You could also bring it to your schools, bring it into your library. There are resources and facts about uh, child trafficking and also uh, safety resources. Also more educational resources. Curriculums from different organizations that we know about and we share, and also learning more about the organizations in the film and other nonprofits if you wanted to get involved and/or uh, work with some of the survivor leaders in the film. They all have their own amazing organizations that you should go out, donate, support, um, or collaborate with them on projects.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for telling us all that. I think it's uh, really important for people. I've always said on my podcast today, like, if you want to know more about the guests we've talked to, do click on the links that we provide. But that one right now, if you're listening you, or watching, you can't click on it. But when we're fully published on our partner sites like Apple and Spotify and iHeartRadio and places like that, you'll actually be able to click on that and it will click right through, right to the website. So we do encourage people to actually click on that that link. And uh, we do uh, appreciate the fact you came on the Family Electric Go show today. And we hope that um, our audience will will watch your film and actually book showings and screenings and you know get into your work um, because uh, we like to present people uh, to our audience that we think are important uh, people to check out and check their work out. And uh, we're very happy that you came on the show today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for providing a platform for artists like myself to share the work that we're doing and, and talk about it. And hopefully other people will be inspired by it.
0: Yeah, that's always the mission is to, you know, take this creative community across the world and introduce each other. We've actually, you know, had other filmmakers on. We hope that people watch this and maybe people contact you. You never know. We've had lots of people collaborate, you know, with people they've actually seen on the show. Mm-hmm. They've actually contacted mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know, I, I can do X and, and they find out, "Oh, that's something we could work on. So, I mean, that's that's the whole idea of creating like a podcast community of guests and hosts that have. Oh, this is interesting. Maybe I should I should get into this. Maybe I should talk to this person to find out you know more about whatever they're doing, and maybe I could do something that's it's synergy. You never know. But uh, thank you.
1: Yeah, I'll also throw out my personal website mcmfilmmaker.com. That's where you could see my cinematography work and the other projects that I've worked on.
0: Oh, send me that on the uh, private chat, and I'll add that to the um, to the actual distribution on the podcast. Okay and then I'll, I'll update the all the links so that they have that great okay thank you again that's really good yeah actually i can throw it up real quick before we leave so people see it because i just got it so i'm going to put that up no okay. yeah so there you go so if that's your main site right yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's your main site. So that's mcmfilmmaker.com, www.mcmfilmmaker.com Go check that one out. That's also going to be on our overall link. So thank you again for being on the show. And uh hope you have a great night.
1: Thank you. You and, too. Uh, like
0: I said, we're gonna be this will be fully published on all the platforms that you can watch or watch a podcast. So you'll be able to watch us anywhere. So thank you.
1: Great, thank you. Take care. Have a good night. Bye. Good night.